0: Join me in a moment of prayer, will you? Father in heaven, we come together this morning with joy in our hearts to worship you, realizing that we don't need to ask you to be here, for wherever your people gather, you are promised to be among us. So we thank you for that abiding presence. Just let your spirit make this valuable time today. Let our eyes of faith be open so that we may see you clearly. Let our ears be tuned to your voice, and let our minds be sensitive to your truth and let our hearts respond in tenderness so that we might receive all that you have to give us this day. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. new teaching series called The Power of Hope, and it's based on the 29th chapter of the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. And if you missed the first message in this series last week, you can go on our website, you can listen to the podcast or pick up a print copy that's available out in the lobby, and that's true for any of this uh, of the messages in this eight-week series. If you uh, would like to stay current, either the podcast or a print copy is available. But for this series, we've also uh, decided to provide a note-taking guide, and that uh, I mentioned this last week, but if you weren't here, it's in the worship folder in front of you today. Uh, On one side is a place for you to take notes on the the message. The other side uh, has some discussion starters for your own personal devotional time or perhaps your life group. Uh, Some of our life groups are using this as a discussion uh, for their meetings together. Uh, We got lots of good feedback uh, last week on the insert, so I hope that uh, it will continue to be useful for you. Jeremiah was one of the major prophets in the Old Testament era, and if you read the entire book, you will see in his message a new interpretation of sin, which explains at least why in the prophet's mind the tragic events that he was witnessing, and that was chief among them the exile of God's people from Jerusalem to Babylon, um, was, was traumatic God was indeed the source of salvation for his people in Israel and Judah and was able to deliver them from the consequences of their sin, but they would have to first return to him and in repentance and seek God's forgiveness. In today's lesson, we're going to see that Jeremiah sees a distinction between sinning, doing those things that are wrong in the eyes of God, And the disposition of a person's heart that seeks to do wrong, which he says and seems to imply is uh, far worse and harder to deal with. So today we're going to look at the effects of something called discontentment and how this is an emotional trap that affects our spiritual life as well. Pray with me, will you? Holy and perfect God, we admit that too often we put things above you in our lives. We say we long for you, and then actually what we long for is more money and more comfort and more of the things of this world. Lord, your word tells us that you will come with judgment to us if our hearts remain captive to anything, anything but you. So today we confess our rebelliousness and we admit that our worship is often not all that it could be because our hearts are slaves to lesser things. Lord God, break our hearts today with what breaks yours and help us to seek good and not evil. Touch us with your mercy and your grace. Renew our hearts in this time of worship together. Make us long for you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, ever since the beginning of creation, when the first creatures came from the hand of God, there has always been someone somewhere unhappy with their position in the universe. It all started with an angel named Lucifer, the brightest star in the heavenly realm, who was not satisfied to be at the top of God's creation. He wanted something more than his assigned position as the greatest of all created beings. His seething discontentment caused him to lead a rebellion against the Most High God. Fully one-third of all the angels joined with him in his quest to overthrow the throne of God, but they failed. For his rebellion, he and his followers were kicked out of heaven, and ever since that dark day, he has been known as Satan or the devil, and he has been the relentless foe of God in all of God's works. It was discontentment that made him do it. And discontentment has been one of his best weapons ever since. Satan's earliest triumph came in the Garden of Eden when he sowed seeds of discontentment in Eve's unsuspecting heart. By misquoting the Lord, he made Eve think that God was somehow trying to cheat her, to keep her down, to keep her from becoming like God. And so Eve took the fruit and ate it, and she gave it to Adam, and he ate it. And from that moment on, sin entered the human bloodstream. The seeds of discontentment brought about the bitter harvest of disobedience, which led to the loss of paradise and the entrance of evil into the world. And ever since then, we have been an unhappy bunch of people. After Eden, we have never been fully satisfied with anything on this earth. In addition, we are still not satisfied. Thousands of years later, we always want something different. We want something more. If we're young, we want to be older. If we're old, we wish we were younger again. If it's old we want something new. If it's new we want something newer. If we have $100 we want 200. If we have 200 we want 500. If we have an apartment we want a condo. If we have a condo we want a house. If we have a house we want a bigger house, a newer house, a nicer house. If we have a job we dream of a better job, a bigger job, a closer job, a, a bigger office, a better boss, better benefits bigger opportunities, nicer people to work with, more vacation time. If we're single, we dream of being married. If we're married, well, you finish that sentence. (laughs) But you get the picture. None of this is unusual in any way. We are born discontented, and some of us stay that way forever. A certain amount of discontentment can be good for the soul. It's not wrong to have dreams about what the future might hold. The hope of something better drives us forward and keeps us working and inventing and striving and creating and innovating. But there's a kind of discontentment that leads us in the wrong direction. So let me suggest to you today five signs that discontentment is dragging you down spiritually. The first sign is envy, the inability to rejoice at the success of others. The second is uncontrolled ambition, the desire to win at all costs, no matter what it takes, no matter who gets trampled on in the process. Third is a critical spirit, the tendency to make negative, hurtful, cutting remarks about other people. Fourth is a complaining spirit, the disposition to make excess uh, to make excuses um, and to, to blame others to, uh, for your bad circumstances in life, for all of your problems, a refusal to take personal responsibility, for the inability to be thankful for what you already have. And then fifth, outbursts of anger, angry words spoken because your expectations are not being met. You see, a discontented person looks around and says, I deserve something better than this. Because they're never happy, never satisfied, they drag others into the swamp with them. No wonder Benjamin Franklin said, contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontent makes a rich man poor. Discontentment is a cancer of the human soul. It eats away at our joy, it corrodes our happiness, it destroys our outlook on life, it produces terminal jaundice of the soul so that everything begins to look negative to us. We cannot be happy because we will not be happy, we cannot be satisfied because we will not be satisfied, and a discontented person is truly a lost soul, miserable today and miserable tomorrow. So how can we overcome this debilitating condition? I believe the answer, as always, lies with good theology. Sin always stems from wrong thinking about God and about ourselves and about life in general. And Jeremiah chapter 29 contains some amazing, helpful insights about discontentment even though the word never appears there. But here's some important realities that we need to remember. First, we are often where we are in life because God wants us there. We talked about this a little bit last week. Remember the background of Jeremiah 29. It is a letter from the prophet Jeremiah who's in Jerusalem to the Jewish exiles who are in Babylon. They felt abandoned, rejected, unloved, discouraged, forgotten by God. How could they ever sing the songs of God again while living in this pagan land? How could they ever find hope? Knowing that it was their own foolish choices that put them there, how could they find the courage to go on when God said, Hey, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years? To all of these concerns, God answers in verse 4. He says, I exiled you to Babylon. Here is one of the clearest statements of God's sovereignty in the Bible. Although the hated Babylonians had captured them, behind the pagan army stands the Lord himself. I did it, says the Lord. Don't blame the Babylonians. They were merely my instruments in doing my will. You sinned and brought this judgment on yourself, but I'm the one who carried you off to Babylon. To say it that way doesn't cancel human choice and the very real consequences of our sin. It merely points out that things are not always as they may seem on the surface. The exiles had vivid memories of the shock and pain and shame of being wrenched from their homeland and carried off to a foreign land. God says, there's more going on here, folks, than you understand. I warned you that this was gonna happen. You ignored me. And now what I said has come true. If you want to blame anyone, blame yourself. Don't blame the Babylonians. They're simply acting on my command. They don't don't even realize it. King Solomon said it very succinctly in Proverbs 16, 9. He said, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. The Jews never planned to end up in Babylon. In fact, that would have been the very last place on earth they ever intended to go. But the Lord determined that that would be their destination for the next 70 years. Is this any consolation? Well, it all depends on what you believe about God. If we don't believe that God involves himself in the affairs of life, then it won't matter because we won't see God's hand at work even in life's darkest moments. But if we believe that God is the God of the details, then it makes all the difference in the world to know that he takes personal responsibility for allowing certain things to happen that we may regard as catastrophes. Christian speaker and author Tony Evans says that everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God, and there is no third category. Now, you may or may not Agree with that statement, but that's huge because many of us want to create this third category, uh, something like, really bad things happen to people for no reason at all. Tony Evans would say, there is no such category. You just may be where you are in life right now because God wants you there. You may be happy about your current circumstances or maybe you're miserable. Most likely, you're somewhere in between. It doesn't matter, you just may be where you are at this moment in your life because God wants you to be there. How do I know that? Because if God wanted you somewhere else, I think you might be somewhere else. And when he does want you somewhere else, that's where you'll be. If God is God, that will be true. When God says, I carried you to Babylon, he wants his children to know that even though they have significantly sinned against him, He has not forgotten them. He has carried them to Babylon, partly as a judgment, but partly as a sign of his mercy. They certainly understood the judgment part. They would only understand the mercy part years later. Sometimes the most that we can say is, I know I'm here because God wants me to be here. I don't know why, but I know I'm not here by chance. And it's a great advance in the life of faith to be able to say even that much, even if we don't know all the rest of the details. But here's the second key point. We are called to make the most of our present circumstances. Look at verses 5 and 6, and it gives us God's specific direction to the exiles in Babylon. It definitely was not what they expected to hear from God. God says, build homes. homes. Plan to stay a while. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. You know, I think they expected God to say something like, my children, I know you don't like living in Babylon, so I have some very good news for you. Just sit tight. Stay out of trouble. Do your time. Before you know it, you'll be back home again. That's not what God said. His advice was quite different. You're going to be here, folks, for a long time, 70 years to be exact. And since you won't be coming home early, it's important that you make the best of your situation. So build houses, uh, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, and let your children get married and have children, and increase in numbers, and do not decrease. To borrow a familiar phrase, God command is simple bloom where you're planted you may not like where you are today but that doesn't matter as I planted you in Babylon or transplanted maybe is the better word go ahead and put down some roots buy some land build some homes plant gardens go into business build a community there you see in every hard situation that we face in life we have to come to grips with the same question Are we going to complain or are we going to get busy? God says, you're in Babylon now. Make the best of it. Stop complaining. Don't mope around. Don't spend your days pining away for Jerusalem. You aren't going to go back there for 70 years. I put you in Babylon for a reason. Don't waste a moment of your time looking back at what used to be. Use your energies to make, a, to make your life better now. That's really good advice, isn't it? Over the years, I have thought a lot about the way that God leads us, His people. And one thing is certain, the will of God is not a destination, it's a journey. I've always believed that, and I'm more convinced of that now than ever. As a young couple, energetic Christ followers, leaving college and seminary behind for an opportunity to be in ministry. Jan and I told God what our plans were. We wanted to be missionaries. We had thought about this and planned for that for a number of years. God laughed and said, why don't you move to Michigan and pastor a local church instead? I don't know, maybe this was a missionary enterprise. I'm not sure. But but as difficult as it is, sometimes we have learned We've had to learn to live in the moment and not make long-range plans. We could never have predicted any of the places where God has put us or that we would have been among you at Redeemer here for now over 31 years. And I draw no conclusions from that except that life has brought us lots of joys in every place where we have served. A few challenging moments as well. But I love what I get to do each week because there is no predictable rhythm to this job. Every day is a bit different. Every day has its own challenges. Every day has its own joy. You see, it's always easy and sometimes very dangerous to play the if-only game. If only I would be married, then I'd be happy. If only I'd get that new job, then I'd be happy. If only I graduate from college, then I'd be happy. If only we have children, then we'll be happy. If only we can retire to Florida, then we'll be really happy. If only I could make more money, if only I could win that case, if only we could move into that new home, we'd be happy. If only I climb that one last mountain, then I'll be happy. But you know, life doesn't generally work that way, does it? Some years ago, Mel Gibson was on one of the late night talk shows discussing his rehab stint from alcohol addiction, and he he made a profound observation about the importance of living one day at a time, and he said, you can't live in the future. That's a bad place to live. Somewhere I read about a prison uh, where the new inmates were given a crucial piece of advice, and that is to keep your head where your seat is. If you spend your days thinking about your past or what... Uh, Might have been, you'll lose focus on where you are and you're liable to do something stupid that will get you into more trouble. You see, we have to live in the present. We can't live in the past. We can't live in the future. We have to live today. And the third key point then is we must come to grips with reality. And this point. Follows the last one. If we are going to settle down in Babylon and make the best of a bad situation, we must come to grips with reality. And this, must, this may be the hardest thing for all of us to do. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is to get a cold splash of reality right in our face. See, we owe it to ourselves and to others not to live in fantasy land. Our children will be blessed if we, if they see us making the best of Our situation today, God told these exiles to settle down and build something for themselves in Babylon. He told them to have children and then grandchildren and to increase and not decrease. And Our sons and daughters will also be blessed when they see us making the best of our situation. Some of us get really messed up at this point. We feel bad about the past and therefore we aren't able to move forward. The key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. Here's a deep theological truth about your past. It is what it is. We can't change it. We can't delete it. We can't improve it. But we can't accept it and we can move on from there. Years ago, I heard someone speak about three simple statements that I'll call the first law of spiritual progress. And it goes like this. I can't go back I can't stay here, I must go forward. God will bless us when we embrace reality with courage and when we accept the past for what it is and move forward with an energetic faith in God. So what's the bottom line of this message? We just may be where we are in life today by the sovereign will of God. We can serve God right where we are we can glorify God right where we are and if we complain we are attacking the Lord we're not serving him so the question comes down to this do we believe in God or don't we do we believe that God will give us what we need right now to serve him in the circumstances that we're in there is a sense in which we, when we complain, when we dwell in that discontentment, at that point, we no longer believe in God. Yes, on one level, we certainly do believe in God, but by our discontented complaining, we are denying the truth that we claim to believe. If we can't do everything we would like to do, we can joyfully accept the situation we're in at the moment as being from the hand of God. We can pray, we can praise God. We can sing to the Lord. We can always refresh ourselves in the streams that flow from the heart of God. So how do we apply this truth, the truth of this story of God's people in captivity? How can we cope when the circumstances of our life are not what we had planned for, not what we had hoped for, and we see no hope that they're going to change anytime soon? Well, we can bloom where we're planted We can serve the Lord right where we are. We can stop moping around, complaining. We don't live in the past or the the future, but in the present. Let God define our life, not earthly circumstances. Don't expect change to always make you happy. Never forget that we won't be where we are today forever. You see, that brings us to a very important spiritual truth. The only thing that ultimately matters in life is knowing Jesus. That's it. The only thing that ultimately matters in this life is knowing Jesus and through him growing closer to God day by day nothing else. If we know God in Christ, then we are of all people most blessed and highly favored. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And if we don't know Christ, then the rest of our life won't satisfy our deepest, deepest longings. Christ must be at the center of our life Or else the circumstances in our life are never going to satisfy us. Circumstances, even happy ones, can never replace the soul's longing for God. Now, seen in that light, discontentment is a pretty serious sin because it's an an attempt to overthrow God, it is an attack on the sovereign God who sits on the throne of the universe. When we complain against the Lord, we are repeating Satan's mistake, and it's the first great rebellion being played out in our own heart all over again, and we're not going to be more, any more successful at it than Lucifer was the first time. So I'd like you to consider the following two sentences very carefully this morning. If I'm in Jerusalem, if I'm in a good place— if I'm where God wants me to be and I'm seeing life pretty happily right now, I can serve God right there in Jerusalem. But if I'm in Babylon, if I'm in a place in my life where the circumstances aren't what I had hoped for, if I'm struggling, uh, I can also serve God in Babylon. There is, this is true no matter where, at what stage you are in life. We can be anywhere on God's green earth and we can still serve the Lord. It's not about geography, it's about our heart. And if God has put you in Babylon at the moment, serve him there. Build a house, plant a garden, start a business, have some kids, settle down, enjoy life. You see, you can serve God in the Babylon moments of our life just as well as the Jerusalem moments. It's a hard lesson, but it's also good news if we receive it from the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we are so glad today that you know all things about us. You know what is coming. You know what's next in our life. You are updated. You're in touch. You're completely aware of all the things in our life at all times. The psalmist says you have examined us and you know all about us. You know when we sit down. You know when we get up. You know our thoughts before we think them. You know where we go and and what we do and you know everything. Lord, even before we say a word, you know what that is. And we are so grateful for that because you know us so well that we can trust you with our life and we do trust you And today we place our lives again into your hands. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.